0: Revelation fourteen, one through five. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion, and with him one hundred and forty-four thousand who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven, like the roar of rushing waters, and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they remain virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as firstfruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed." And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and sang the the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy, all all nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So good, let's just pray right away. Let's take a deep breath. If you're feeling anything like I am this morning, kind of came came quickly, so let's just slow down and just take a breath and realize God is near to us. Thank you, God, that you are near to us. Against the pace of our lives that seems to want to devour us, we slow down. We resist in holy peace, peace that passes understanding, doesn't make sense. And yet that's the kind of peace you say you give. So we're here to hear To listen. And not just in one ear, out the other, but to respond. And to respond in a way that's worthy of how good and great you are. So, Holy Spirit, come, enable us to listen and obey. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. Yeah. Um, it is not a heat wave anymore. It's starting to chill, isn't it? Um, welcome to Park Hill Church. My name is Evan Wickham and my wife, Sandy, and I, we have the honor of leading this church and we are walking through the book of Revelation, like Drew said. And so if you need a Bible, uh, you do need a Bible. So if you, if you don't have one, uh, raise your hand and we'd love to get you one. Um, if you don't have a paper Bible, this is yours to keep. Um, yeah, so... We're walking through the last book of the Bible, Revelation. The actual title, do you remember the title of Revelation? It's the first line of the book. It's the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, right? Or or the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word apocalypse is a really good word. That's what we're learning. It means the unveiling, right? A big theme of Revelation is things are more than they seem. Things are more than they seem with our naked eye. And the greatest unseen reality of the present is a person. The crucified, risen, and exalted Jesus is currently sitting on the throne of the cosmos, you guys. He's currently ruling, and that's the greatest unseen reality of the present. There is nothing greater. And not just that, but this Jesus has promised to come back physically, in body. Do you live with that hope in mind? Jesus is going to come and bring down every oppressor and bring forgiveness and healing to everyone who admits they need it. And this is what the apocalypse of Jesus Christ is telling us. Remember, a helpful way to read the apocalypse, to read Revelation, is as a five-act drama. Jesus' disciple John, remember, he's exiled on an island uh, because he was a treasonous you know, agitator because he didn't worship Caesar. He worshipped this crucified Jew, Uh, and so he's exiled to this island where Jesus gives him this vision, this apocalypse, and it unfolds like a five-act play. Um, So how do we know this? So here's kind of just, I put it on all one slide so you can see it. Each of Revelation's five acts are marked by this word in Greek, open, and a new thing opens. A new deeper thing opens. So act one, you see Jesus hero shot, and then he gives his messages. And then uh, chapter four, verse one, a door opens in heaven. So you enter heaven, and then act two starts. You see heaven's throne room, and then verse 11, chapter 11, verse 19, God's temple opens. You go deeper. It's like that C.S. Lewis quote, further up, further in. It's like an onion. When you peel a layer back, the inside is bigger than the last and so, so this is what it's like in the unseen realm. And then open, open, open. So you can see it there. And today, um, this, is, this is where we're at. We're at Act 3. We come to the end of Act 3, where the bad guys are coming out to play. Satan and his beasts, if you remember last week, Satan manipulates political and spiritual powers all over the world and all over governments and ideologies. And, and Satan uses these things to do everything he can to steal worship from the Lamb. And the ringing question throughout Act 3 is, who are you going to worship? There's plenty of options. And every human worships. Every one of you will worship this week. Because to be human is to be a worshiper. We can't help it. Unlike any other creature we know of in the natural world, humans have to function with a sense, with a model of what's real, of what's really real. We can actually think of what's not real and say, no, that's not real. We have no evidence that animals can do this. We can actually imagine unreality and distinguish it from reality and live into reality instead of unreality. And we express this as a worldview, and we express it with language, and we express it with a sense of what's right and just. So whatever whatever we believe is capital really, capital real, that's what we worship. That's the thing that shapes everything about your life. And this is what Revelation 12 through 15 is asking us. Who will it be? Who gets your worship? So it's no surprise then that the whole drama of Revelation is filled with worship songs. 17 or 18 songs by my count. You can go through and see all the little indented poems in Revelation. It's full of hymns and choruses because this book is all about worship. Who's going to get yours? Who's going to get your worship? These, and these songs, these 17 or 18 songs in Revelation, they've inspired countless thousands of other hymns that have been written throughout church history. Have you ever wondered why we sing in church? Like you just did it for 20 minutes. I don't know how enthused you were to do it. Maybe you were super pumped. I actually think Park Hill Church, you guys are a very singing church and it's beautiful to behold. I, I, I've, Sandy and I have traveled all, in many places, and led worship in many contexts, and we've heard different kinds of worship happening. And I believe more than ever that a healthy church is a singing church, most often. A healthy church is a singing church, and you're a singing church. It's beautiful to behold. But have you ever wondered why Christians do this? It's kind of strange. Like, we're kind of this anomaly, this outlier in culture, right? Like, no other major religions— Encourage, let alone command everybody to like pipe up and sing, you know? That's not a thing. You know, think of the other religions. They have like trained pros singing in their rituals and and singing from their um, mosque towers and things. They're like professional vocalists, you know? Even outside religion, think of concerts. Where do people sing all at once? Maybe a concert. Maybe if you've been to like a big concert where everybody knows the song, but even that's different because... In a concert, not everyone is primarily there to sing together, but to listen to a specific artist sing, right? You don't just pay to go to... I mean, karaoke's kind of different, I guess. But but that's still one person making a fool of themselves. Um, But but in a concert, it's one artist. And unfortunately, that line between celebrity and worshiper has been blurred by the Christian worship industry a little bit. Um, But be that as it may... The centered singer performing for a crowd, that's specifically not what's going on in the worship moments in the Bible or in historic church settings. So why do we do this? Why do we sing? Like all of you belting it out, like whether you think you're a singer or not doesn't matter at that point. That's so weird. Um... So, uh, you know, most of us don't even sing like normal We would never sign up for a choir. Or when, or, or when you do sing on your own, it's like rocking out in a car alone and then someone sees you and you're mortified, you know? Um, so why do we sing? The reason comes to us in Revelation 14 and 15, what Ashley just read. And, and what we're gonna see is from the beginning of God's family story, whenever God reveals who he is, what he has done and what he's gonna do, Whole family singing is always a primary response. This is just how God's family works. This is how we roll. In this house this is what we do, is what God says. So when we humans, when we wake up to what God has been up to and how good He is deep in His soul, uh, we join creation with singing, specifically singing, not just a metaphor, but with our voices. And, and when we do this, when we sing all together, we're supposed to realize, oh, this singing is more than singing. Remember, things are more than they seem in this book. And this is what we're going to discover in our text. And I've been praying for you for the last 24 hours because this is like a heart message for me in a way. And, and it was very difficult to get this on paper <laughs> this time uh, for me for many reasons. And one of them is because I really wanted to get to the core of what I think is happening here for us. And, and so let's, let's get into this. Revelation 14, verse two. He says, John says, I heard a sound. That's the same Greek word as voice in chapter one. I heard a voice. I heard a sound, like a roar of rushing water and like a loud peal of thunder. And the sound I heard was like harpists playing their harp. <laughs> which which is it? This is wild, thunderous harps. That's the opposite of a harp to me. So what is John hearing on the prison island of Patmos. He's hearing the music of heaven. And it sounds like waterfalls and thunder and professional harpists. And it turns out it's the sound of ultimate singing is what this is. Keep reading verse 3. And they sang a new song. This is what the ultimate singing was singing. (laughs) This thing called new song. In front of the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And look, no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed from the earth. So, oh, look, 144,000. Aha, we've, we've met them before, haven't we? So you, if you've been journeying with us, first of all, uh, back in Revelation 7, 144,000, that's when we met this number. So quiz, 144,000, statistic or symbol? Symbol, good. Remember, all the numbers in Revelation are symbols, not statistics. So does anyone remember what 144,000 symbolizes? Anybody? It, it, a lot is part of the definition, that's right. It's, it means a lot. A lot of what? A lot of the family of God. Boom, you guys are listening. So it seems to me this 144 number is 12 times 12, which is all the people of God before Jesus and all the people of God after, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, 12 and 12. This is all God's people, but then why the three zeros? Why 144, zero, zero, zero? Well, because in scripture, if you multiply a number by 10, it's a way of saying a lot. Jesus does this when Peter's like, how much are we supposed to forgive people that hurt our feelings or whatever? And he's like, seven times? Peter thought that was a big number. Complete, because it does mean complete. Do we forgive them completely? And Jesus is like, nope, 70 times seven, Jesus said. So Jesus added a zero to say more than you could ever think complete means is how much you forgive. And so Jesus, and so Jesus through John is adding zeros. This is God's family, but it's more complete and more big and big and big. Three zeros bigger than you can imagine is God's family. This is all of God's rescued and faithful people singing this new song, this ultimate song. And, and, and look how John describes these singers. This is is us. He's talking about us. Verse four, these are those who did not defile themselves with women for they remained virgins. They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. And look, no lie was found in their mouths. They're blameless. Okay, what is John saying here? Well, he's describing them. He's describing God's faithful, redeemed, rescued family as sexually faithful. They're sexually faithful and they're not lying and they're actually blameless. Does, wait, is John actually saying that the redeemed people of God have never had sex and never told a lie? No. It seems to me and to others, you can read it in Daryl Johnson's book, N.T. Wright and others, this is John's way of saying followers of the lamb stay loyal to the lamb under pressure. This is what he's saying here. Followers of the lamb are the ones who at the end of the day stay loyal to the lamb under pressure. They don't give in to the sexual temptations of Babylon that he talks about in Revelation. They don't give in to the pressure to worship the beast's political party. They don't lie when they're told to deny that Jesus is Lord. When push comes to shove, the lamb's people speak the truth and they name the name of the lamb who loves their souls. This is what the followers of the Lamb do. And then, accompanied by the music of heaven, they sing this thing called new song, capital N, capital S, New Song. And this is, this is what's happening here, you guys. If you are redeemed, if you're rescued by Jesus, then you are someone who sees Jesus clearly. The redeemed people of Jesus see him clearly and they sing. John's saying, When you see, you sing. This is why a healthy church is a singing church. When you see Jesus clearly, you sing to him. Do you see him clearly? I love uh, a couple months ago at Seek First Sunday, David Wade over here, he, he, he led one of the prayer movements and he just said, this is, it's, time, it's time to step forward if you want to see Jesus rightly, would you see Jesus rightly tonight? We just want to see him rightly. Whatever that means. If, if you, as, as long as we demonstrate that we want to see him rightly, this is what God is looking for. It's like a Lord I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord I see, but help my unseeing. And when that, when that moment, when David led that moment, something broke open. One of my favorite moments in the life of our church. People began to cry out to God in a way that was new. New song. New song. Understand So, do you see Jesus clearly? Do you see Jesus as the God who gave everything up to provide a way to cleanse your soul, get rid of your shame, and offer you forgiveness of sin and belonging in His family? Because according to John, when you see Him, you sing to Him. And you specifically sing this thing called New Song. You guys, this phrase, New Song, it's powerful. New Song, it doesn't just mean a new song you wrote. Or like the latest Maverick City song or whatever. Um, I, even though both those are awesome. Write worship songs, listen to Maverick City. They're great things, 100%. But this is not what this means. It's not just saying, sing to the Lord a new song you wrote in 2022. The phrase new song is packed with meaning. And it has the power to change the way we view our lives. So that's my prayer. That's why I'm, that's why I'm like walking on holy ground preaching this message to you today. So... This phrase, new song, the first time it shows up in Revelation is back in chapter 5, where we see, we open the door and we see the worship, first glimpse of worship in heaven. And here here it is Revelation 5, 9. It says, And they sang, there it is, it's a specific term. They sang new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. Only the lamb can fix everything and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God, purchased persons from every tribe and language, people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they'll reign on the earth. So, so that's the first new song citing in Revelation. And then all the way in Revelation 15, which is the last verse that Ashley read, we discovered that this new song has a title. The new song has a title. Here it is. Are you ready? Revelation 15, 3-4. They held harps, given them by God, and sang, here's the title, The Song of God's Servant Moses and of the Lamb. That has a ring to it, I think. It's like 11 words or something. So that's a long title by our standards. But, but that's the title of, this, of the new song that we're all singing. Every redeemed person all 144,000 with three zeros the song of moses and the song the song of god's servant moses and of the lamb why that title the song of moses has quite a history doesn't it how many of you know the origin story of the song of moses it's in the bible it's in the beginning almost and it's a very common story it's actually the first time we see god's people singing First worship moment, first singing. Do you know the story? Anyone know? I don't know why I'm feeling like a classroom right now. I just feel like pulling, pulling you guys out of your seats. So, so Exodus, Exodus 15, the Prince of Egypt, famous Red Sea. You've all seen Prince of Egypt, maybe. Mo- Moses and the Israelites pass through, and God delivers a bunch of ex-slaves from a violent oppressor. And remember the Red Sea parts after God performs all the miraculous plagues against Egypt and Pharaoh's gods the Red Sea parts the Israelites walk through to freedom and what's the first thing they do on the safe side of the sea sing first thing God's first thing not the second thing the first thing God's people do when they re- discover their new identity is, oh my gosh we're emancipated we're rescued we're redeemed, we're actually adopted. What does this all mean? We don't know. Sing. First thing to do is sing. And, and, and here's what they sing. Are you ready? Here's the chorus. The first lyrics to the Song of Moses. First worship song ever sung. You ready? I will sing to Yahweh, for he's highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he's hurled into the sea. I don't think that would, you know, win a Dove Award, you know. Um, Both horse and chariot he has cast down. Um, But what happens is they repeat this twice, and the second time it's a woman. The first obvious worship leader is Miriam, Moses' sister, with a timbrel, kind of like a tambourine thing, and dancing and singing. She's doing all three. She's music director. And she leads all God's people in singing and playing and dancing and basically retelling this rescue story. And, and this is specifying, see that name Yahweh, that's the personal name of God. It's not just, you know, God is a title. So when people say, oh my God, they're not actually taking God's name in vain because God's a title. Yahweh's his name. So, so, so God is a title, but she's like, no, not just any God, that Yahweh God is who we are addressing. Very specific. That is so key. So, so, so she's retelling the story, specifying it's the Yahweh God who did this for us. And he's gonna keep doing it. Because other lyrics in the song are like, the Philistines are gonna be scared of you just like the Egyptians. The Canaanites are gonna be scared of you too just like the Egyptians. It's what God will do. And it's specifically this Yahweh God. And they're singing. Okay, so that's Exodus 15. That's the first song of Moses. But fast forward to Revelation 15. So from Exodus 15 to Revelation 15, fast forward to where we're at today in Revelation, and we come to the song of Moses again. And it's fascinating, you guys. John plays with it. He messes with the lyrics. Once again, we find out things are way more than they seem. So here it is. Here's the song of Moses. You ready for the lyrics in Revelation 15? Same title. Here it comes. They sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Wait a minute. So my question is, what's wrong with this picture? The first readers would have noticed immediately. It would have made their heads spin and open up all kinds of creative avenues and new possibilities. Oh my gosh, that's the song of Moses. What's missing from the song? The original song. The original song is missing from the song, you guys. There's nothing about horses or drivers or Red Seas. In fact, John doesn't quote Exodus 15 at all in Revelation 15. It's still the song of Moses. What's going on? what he's actually doing here is quoting a bunch of Old Testament texts that are inspired by the original Song of Moses. And then he even mixes some of his, new, his own words, his own words, into these lines from Revelation earlier in the book. So, so, so check it out. Here's, here's kind of a little reference. Next slide. You have the next slide? Yeah, here it is. So this, this is where these words come from. None of them are from Exodus. None of them are from the Red Sea story, except, except the title. What is he doing here? John's grabbing some from the Torah. See, there's Deuteronomy. That's, that's the, the law. And he's grabbing some from the prophets. There's Jeremiah and Isaiah. And he's grabbing some from Psalms. Great and marvelous are your deeds. Look, he bookends it with the Psalms, all about God's deeds and his, his acts. What John is doing here is incredible, and it speaks directly to you in San Diego and to me. All of these song lyrics here are sung by rescued, redeemed children of God who were inspired by the first song of the first rescued, redeemed children of God. And then these later songwriters, they go, oh my gosh, he's doing that in my time. And they patch together their own song of Moses. Same core, new context. Based on the same faithful God. Just like Carter sang today. I call upon the God of Jacob. I call upon the God of Moses. And Mary and David. The same faithful God. But now in Revelation 15. It's like John's inspired by the whole story leading up to him. And he's patching together his own song of Moses. For his own church family that's suffering under Caesar. And they're responding to God's faithfulness with the song of Moses. This is... The point of the song of Moses. It's as if John is saying, hey, there's a long line of song of Moses makers, and you're part of it. You guys, you are part of this long line of song of Moses singers. Here's the baton. It's your turn. It's your turn to sing the song. In fact, the song of Moses was never about just the Exodus. In fact, remember what the title is now. What's the title? Slide 14, they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. That's the title now. Moses was God's servant. Just like all God's singers through all history are his servants, just like we're his servants, just like John is his servant. And we're supposed to wake up like every faithful servant in history, wake up and realize this is who we are, singers of the new song. We, every time we specify who God is, that Yahweh God, that Jesus God, and what he's done through the cross, and what he will continue to do specifically in our time and in the ultimate future, we're singing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. When you see, you sing. Are you a seer? Because it, it, it turns out the horse and drivers, the chariots and the red sea that was never the main point of the original song. Right? The Red Sea and Pharaoh and his armies were never the real enemy. God's victory over Pharaoh and Pharaoh's chariots was always a picture of the greater victory that would cover all God's people. God's victory in Jesus the Lamb. God's victory over Pharaoh was just the surface story. It was the story the media would have got on camera. Right? It was was what Moses and Miriam saw and so it's what they sang about And the media would have got that one on camera, but the real victory that the media could not get on camera was God's victory over the gods of Egypt, the gods that held Pharaoh captive. Pharaoh was not the real enemy, spiritual powers, beasts behind, the dragon behind the beasts is the real enemy. The 10 plagues that God sent on Egypt, they were not aimed at the people, you guys. They were aimed at the gods of Egypt. Each of the 10 plagues was aimed at a different God that was holding Egypt captive. So Israel needed to be redeemed, but so so did Egypt. Do you get this? See what this means. Moses needed to be redeemed, but so did Pharaoh. And that's the point of the revelation of Jesus. That's the point of the songs. In Revelation, 17 or 18 songs by my count. The point is things are more than they seem. And our singing here is more than it seems. More than we just sing is what's happening when we sing. The first century church was facing opposition on the surface from Caesar. Yeah, the enemy was Caesar, claiming absolute power, but he wasn't the real. He wasn't the really real enemy. The real enemy was the arch nemesis of God who hates Jesus. Pictured by the dragon in Revelation 12, he is the Satan. And he is very much still active. The exact same power that held Pharaoh and got a hold of the Caesars is a hold of the American political system in various ways and is a hold of the North Korean one and the British one. And he is in charge of ideologies that disseminate through various institutions all over the world to get lamb people to back off allegiance to the lamb. And in Jesus' death on the cross which on the surface looked like weakness. In reality, it was the strength of the Trinity, the strength of the triune God overcoming the dragon. And that's why John uses two titles. It's the Song of Moses because it's for their time, but it's the Song of the Lamb because it's for all time. This is why your testimony is, don't just tell your Jesus story. Yes, do it. Keep telling your Jesus story, but also tell the Jesus story. This is the song. This is the new song. As the Lamb's people through history, we sing about God's victories at the surface level, Egyptian slavery, Roman persecution, sickness, modern day slavery, and God's victory over this, the sex trafficking industry and various things like that, literal, literal poverty today, healed human relationships, God has victories on the surface level. And at the same time, we realize things are more than they seem because at the deepest level, All our singing to Jesus is about the one greater victory behind all of that reality. In the Lamb, God has won the victory over all the powers that oppose Him. God has won the victory over everything that keeps His people from entering fullness of life. He's won the victory. And the question that'll keep coming today is Do you see? Do you see that He's won? And if you see, are you singing? You know you're going to sing to someone. This is why we are singing, people. This is why Christians sing, and this is what it means to sing new song, uh, the new song. So here's here's what I'm saying: the new song. It's the old song transposed to the key of a new day. It's a new community of God's redeemed children responding to the same ancient rescuing love of God through Jesus, through both singing out and living out of who God is, what he's done and what he promises to do. This is what the songs of Revelation, 17, 18 of them, this is what they're all showing us. So we're gonna come out of this teaching, obviously we're gonna sing. (laughs) This is the primary, the primary moment, the primary application of a sermon like this is to engage your diaphragm very, very practically. You are an embodied soul and you are an ensouled body. You're both don't believe don't believe the lie that you are you are a soul that just has a body you are an embodied soul and you are an ensouled body you are a body and you have this you have this uh capability given to you by god to engage your energy pack that is you embodied and and force and preach to yourself through guttural acts like bowing and crying out and lifting hands and lying prostrate on your face and singing in an, at an awkward decibel level, like singing loudly. In order to break through in the spiritual realm, you are an ensouled body and an embodied soul. Things move in the unseen when God's people enter the new song of the Lamb. Very practically through actual, literal singing. And so, so to, to, to give us an on-ramp to this, there's two things I want us to be fully aware of, okay? Uh, two huge things we learn from the songs in Revelation. Um, number one, the songs in Revelation, I've said it, I'm gonna say it on screen. They specify who God is. They specify. That word specify is key. This is what we're supposed to do. Our worship is specific. And this this actually changes how we live. We don't just live for a general God. God is not just the universe. You understand? That's very very popular today. It creeps in. It's everywhere in the church. It's literally everywhere in the Western church. God is just kind of the universe spirit, and Jesus is the best version of it we have, and so let's all love one another, whatever. Um, God is not the universe. God is specifically... A a unseen being who is three persons. So uh, when Drew or Sandy or myself choose the songs we sing on Sunday, we are intentionally choosing songs that clarify who this person is and what he's done and what he says he's gonna do because he's a person. Imagine if my wife is like, hey Evan, will you do the dishes for me? I'm like, and I call her a different name and I do the laundry. My wife is a person who I have made an agreement with to be married to. And so that's what Jesus' followers are with Yahweh. It's very, it's very, very, very similar, actually. God uses marriage as the example of the kind of covenant he's made with us. And he's a per because he's a person. He's specifically this Jesus God person. Do you understand? This is so important, which, let me unpack this a little further. When people come into this building and are exploring, let me check out Jesus or Park Hill. I'm gonna check out you know, if this church is you know, a safe place to belong or whatever, all good stuff to explore. Um, we want people to step in here and know we're not just singing to this general God sense. We're specifically singing to this Jesus God. Why? Because he is distinct from the many other gods you can choose from in the spiritual buffet that is San Diego 2022. It's true. There are very, plenty of gods would love your worship. They'd love to split, splitsies with you and Jesus, 100%. If there's anything we learned from last week's teaching in Revelation, it's that Satan and the beasts are also real beings, persons. Satan is a person. He's not a meme or a metaphor for just bad thinking in society. Satan is a person who is working overtime to impersonate the lamb. Through alternative spiritualities, through anti-Christian ideology or through politics, getting your heart riled up and power to hijack the worship of the lamb's people. And so, you guys, very very realistically, one of the ways you remind yourself who God is and what he does is through your own singing. It's very metaphysical what happens here. Very mystical what happens through your singing. You're actually stealing back stuff that Satan once plundered and bringing it into the kingdom of light. This is why we end most of our Sunday gatherings with the doxology here at Park Hill. You guys, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow, you know. We, that's like our song, right? I'd like to say it's ours, but it's like the whole church's. Butt. So here's... So here's the lyrics. Here's why we do this. Praise God for whom all blessings flow. What does that mean? The God Jesus worshiped created everything. God is not the universe. He made the universe. Which leads us to line 2. Praise him all creatures here below. The God Jesus worshiped. What does that mean? It means that God is a personal creator who is other than creation. Because there's God and then there's here below. We affirm this with singing. And line three, praise him above you, heavenly hosts. Well, the God Jesus worshipped is to be worshipped by unseen beings. And the unseen beings who don't worship him are fallen for a reason. They would love to share that worship with him, but they can't. They never will. And because they're in an unseen realm, time works differently and they're just kind of doomed. And then finally, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Well, the God Jesus worshiped is specifically triune, Trinity. Jesus, how do we know this? Well, Jesus, in the same paragraph, Jesus receives worship while also commanding Trinity worship, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and then they worshiped him. He's like, bring it. Why is this important, that Jesus followers sing theologically accurate songs? Is it just so that we can like be arrogant about how theologically accurate we are? God forbid. That's, when you do that, at that moment you lose your good theology because you become unloving. Or well, is it so we can be like doctrine police on every new worship song that comes out from whatever? Is it so we can like nitpick every worship song out there and blog about it? Please don't do that. (laughs) Seriously, don't don't be a worship nitpicker or whatever. Um, Here's why it's important for Jesus followers to sing theologically accurate songs. It's because this, simply, Jesus followers are people who worship the specific God Jesus worshiped. Have you ever thought of it that way? That's what you're doing. You're following Jesus in your worship. Jesus, this is the mystery of Jesus being fully human and fully God. He both was human who worshiped the Trinity and was part of the Trinity. He's very unique in that way. In his humanness, we follow him. Jesus followers worship the same God Jesus worshiped. That's why we want to know Jesus, because we want to know God. Because there's gods that aren't Jesus. You guys, this is wild. This is, things aren't as, as they seem. Things are more than they seem. I was recently discussing this with a friend of mine who fully deconstructed his faith. He was a worship leader but left Christianity. He's essentially Buddhist now. Um, and, he, and he believes God is the universe. And so I'm texting my buddy and he's like, Evan, I'm curious, what's the danger in believing God is the universe instead of like a personal trinity or whatever? What's the danger? And my response was, "For well, for followers of specifically for followers of Jesus we're talking about, for 2,000 years, the danger in denying the Trinity and believing God is the universe is simply put to not know the God Jesus knew. The clearest way I can think to say it. That's a problem for Jesus' followers. You identify as a Christian and yet do not know the God Jesus knew. Jesus talked about those kinds of people. You say, Lord, Lord, and he's like, I, I never knew you. You're living out of some other character, some other being. Which leads us to the final question, the second purpose of the worship songs in Revelation. And, and here it is, guys. We, start, we end where we started. The, the songs are repeating the ultimate question, who are you gonna worship? Who will it be? Who are you worshiping now? Because you are. Who is it? Whether here on Sunday or Monday or through Friday night and what you value or what you do with your mind, your body, your relationships, your money, your life, my life flows from our worship. And the thing, we it flows from what we think is real, really real. And you can say what you believe is real, but what really reveals is how you live. And Revelation invites us to see the really real and realize, whoa, things are more than they seem and then, and then sing. The greatest unseen reality at the center of the universe is a person, you guys, a good king. We talk about the kingdom. We love the kingdom and justice and equality for all. That's what the kingdom is bringing. And and yet we don't get the kingdom unless we see the king and we sing to the king for who he is. A big problem in our culture is wanting the kingdom without the king, as Mark Sayers says. But why would you not? want the best part of the kingdom. The king is the best part. He's so good, so good, you guys. And he offers you his goodness. He offers you his spirit to become like him. Actually partnering with his spirit is part of our worship, and we get to benefit. As we eat the bread and drink the cup, we actually become more like Jesus together. So can you see the crucified king, the risen king? Can you see him today? And if not, why not? What's keeping you from seeing Jesus? Jesus. Maybe it's doubt, maybe you're just like un, I don't know if I believe that way. And I want to say to you, that's okay as long as you're honest about it. Doubt happens to the best of us. Unbelief happens to the brightest of us. At the end of the day, if, if doubt and unbelief is your issue, then the question for you is: do you want to see? Is it, do you want to see? that that that's what makes i think the difference between honest unbelief and dishonest unbelief honest unbelief says god i want to see because really that's all jesus is looking for there's a long tradition of calling john the seer john the seer cuz he's just writing down what he sees and Jesus shows John ultimate reality where Jesus is at the center of the cosmos. He's truly John the seer, so it's no wonder he's also John the worshiper. Are you the seers? Are you the singers? Let's, let's sing. We're going to sing now. And I would encourage you to put this last question in your mind. Uh, slide 22, the final one. Um, what has a hold on you that keeps you from entering into fullness of life in Christ? What is blocking your seeing? And do you want it removed? Do you want it removed? The most loving thing you can receive from Jesus is a removal of the vision block so you can see him clearly. He wants to reveal himself to you so desperately. And some of you are gonna re-see him. That's why we do communion. That's why we eat the bread and drink the cup every Sunday. It's to defog our lenses and to see Jesus again. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's more than just bread and cup for you. Maybe for you it is unbelief or it's doubt or it's confessing sin in a community that's safe, in a community that truly isn't gonna freak out and worry about your confession of sin as if you're this horrible person and they're not gonna just devolve and wallow with you in your sin either. You know, that kind of community where it's like, yeah, I just did this thing again. I sinned. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, we do that, too. And we're all just bad at it. And we're all just kumbaya. That's what I call wallowing together. It can feel encouraging because misery loves company. But it's not worshiping. It's wallowing. It's not worshiping. And so I would, I would encourage you to worship through confession. Worship through saying, I don't believe, but I want to help my own belief." Worship by just saying, I I receive, I receive the bread and cup, whatever it looks like to you, to say, I want to see clearly today. And sing the song of Moses, which is the song of Park Hill, which is the song of you in the 13th row or whatever. Seeing. Holy Spirit, come help us see Jesus. Help us see Jesus. In his incarnation, he became human. In his crucifixion, becoming sin. In his resurrection, becoming the new creation maker for all God's family. Help us to see Jesus. So before we come to the table, we have about 10 minutes, 15 minutes left in this gathering. We're gonna sing this song all about seeing Jesus. And I would encourage you to sing just I would encourage you to sing. Believing that something mystical, something unseen happens that's connected to your diaphragm. As an ensouled body, your body body has the power to shift things in the unseen realm. And when many bodies come together as the body of Christ, look out. The forces of darkness cannot stand against the authority of the children of God who see their master. So engage in song. And then after we sing this song, we'll have a time of communion and prayer. And the whole thing will take maybe 15 minutes. Um, So what, what would it look like for you to sing? Holy Spirit, come meet with us here. Have your way. Whether we stand or sit or kneel or raise our hands, may you have our voices now shift something in the atmosphere may satan have no territory here may you bind the hand of the enemy from deceiving your children from seeing the lamb's beauty and for sabotaging their own faith in the lamb trading it for beastliness god have your way in your people show us where we are seeing unclearly in jesus name let's all sing